I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I am so happy you joined us again this week for a really interesting discussion having to do with college recruiting. And y'all know that I am a big fan of college tennis. This week, we are chatting with two ladies who joined forces to help high school athletes through the college recruiting process. And they have an interesting approach, uh, something a little bit different than what y'all may be used to hearing on Parenting Aces. So I was really excited to have both Leslie Schleimer and Lauren Egna of College Athlete Consultants join us this week. Ladies, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having us. So I I would love for each of you to kind of give a quick background on what brought you to this place of working with high school kids and college recruiting. So Leslie, let's start with you. Okay, sure. Um, well, I'm a mom of three uh, three kids. They're all three in college right now. So it's been a challenging couple of years getting them to where they are, um, all on different levels. Some one more academic. Um, and then I have one that was more athletic. She uh, played soccer from the time she was in kindergarten. Um, she's a twin, and her sister also was very involved in soccer, but decided early on that it was too much to do the academics and the soccer. So Emma concentrated on the soccer through her entire um, college, career, high school career and switched to a more competitive team, and we began the recruiting process, and we learned that it was much more difficult than we had expected. Um, I think that the combination of the college process and the um, sports process sort of came together uh, during that time. And Lauren and I often discuss this process because she too had been involved in it. So um, as a mom, I wanted, you know, my kids to be able to do exactly what they, you know, were interested in doing. So Emma traveled throughout the country competing on a high level of soccer, was, had interest in D1 coaches, but it never seemed to be the right fit. She couldn't find the school that she wanted um, with the sports that she wanted. So we began looking at the D3 process, um, which is a little more challenging because those D3 coaches don't usually end up at those large um, soccer tournaments. It's a much small, there, there are much bigger schools that can do that kind of traveling. So you have to put the energy into finding the school um, that makes the right fit for uh, academically and athletically. And that's sort of where Lauren and I started the process after have got, having gone through it, both of us, um, Lauren, for obviously for, for tennis and myself for soccer. And during that process, we were able to incorporate the um, the college application piece of it, which is where I find I have uh, more of an expertise in. I have a, a law background. So my experience with writing and reading and um, the application process became a natural fit for me. So between the athletics that Lauren had and the um, academic piece that I enjoyed, we were able to create the CAC. Got it. And Lauren, what's your story? What's your background? Well, I am a mom of four. Um, My um, oldest two daughters um, are 25 and 23, and they were not athletes. So it was just going through the process, um, the academic 
process, which is daunting in itself. Um, but my two younger kids are boys and they're twins and also um, had been athletes since a very young age, played tennis and um, knew early on that the goal was always to play college tennis together. Um, but as Leslie was saying, when you get to uh, the point of trying to find that match, of finding a place that's a good academic fit, social fit, and then you put the the athletic piece in there, it is extremely challenging. Um, also, um, I think that if you're a D1 athlete, it is in some ways easier because a lot of the coaches come and find you. When you're a D3 athlete, it's a completely different process. You really need to reach out to the coaches. And for many first-time parents, which I was, um, we could not do this alone. Um, we found ourselves searching for someone who could help us with the process, um, who could reach out on our behalf, who had contact with the coaches, who understood the process. And um, we were left kind of in the dark, struggling. Uh, we were able to find someone to work with us in Boston, um, but we were in New York, so that in itself was a challenge. Um, and that's sort of how the business became, uh, just seeing that there was a need, a big need uh, for D3 athletes, and there just not being the resources out there. Got it. So for both of you, I mean, so interesting that you each have a set of twins um, and yeah. that, and that <laughs> you know, that it's, it's the twins that are your athletes. Well, Leslie, one of your twins that is an athlete. Um, and I love that, you know, we have a set of girl twins and a set of boy twins. So we're covering all our bases here today. This is okay. great. Um, I wanted to find out though, you know, especially from you, Lauren, because your kids are playing tennis. Um, but, but Leslie, I'm also interested in hearing your thoughts on this. At what point did your kids realize that Division One was not likely where they were going to wind up? And how did you come to Division Three? as opposed to division two or, you know, even, um, you know, a smaller NAI school or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'll start on that. Um, for tennis, I mean, it's pretty clear cut and, uh, most of the parents who are probably listening are familiar with the ranking systems. You have uh, tennis recruiting, um, and you have their UTR numbers. So it just sort of breaks down if you're, between, let's say, if you're a top 100 player in the country, you know you're probably going to land yourself in a D1 school. Um, and as far as tennis goes, there really aren't that many D2 options. At least that's what we found um, and are, are still finding. Um, so it kind of there's just kind of a jump from D1 to D3. And then when you do land and open your you know your mind to the D3. There's just so many great options. Um, a lot of the small liberal arts schools are where we're finding a lot of our students are being placed right now. Um, a lot of the liberal arts schools are also doing test score optional. So a lot of the athletes really like that because it's just one less competitive piece they have to worry about. Um, well, I want to hear more yeah. about that. That's Is that a recent change? It is a recent change. Um, I know Union College is one of the schools 
um, that do not have test scores um, that are part of, you can send them, but it's, it's not required. Wow. And I believe, yeah, and I believe Skidmore and there's a few others, but it is definitely a trend and a lot of schools are, are heading that way and just understanding that not every student is a great test taker and to put so much emphasis on your college acceptance because of an ACT or SAT score um, is not that is not becoming probably as relevant as it once was. And for the kids who are athletes, when they're spending so many hours a day, whether it's on the on the tennis court or on a soccer field or any other field, it's it's just so many extra hours of time that they don't have and it's just so much more pressure. So if you don't have that trouble or that worry and it's not as important, it it certainly is very helpful, we find. Yeah, that's great. So Leslie's on a time crunch here. So I'm going to, Leslie, I'm going to turn the mic on you for a few minutes and because I want to make sure that I, I get to hear from you as much as possible before you have to scooch off. But um, you said that you focus more on the actual application side of the recruiting process. Can you talk about what that means? What what kind of help do kids typically need? Okay, sure. I, there's one thing first I want to address. As far as the athletic piece of it, it's, it's interesting because you ask when you know where to look. And I think that there comes a point in each athlete's process where they make that decision whether they want to, you know, pursue a D1 or D2 or D3. And I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's difficult because a lot of the times you start thinking that you're, you only want D1, that you've, you know, played this sport your whole life, that this is the end all be all. And then as you go through the process, you, you know, come to that realization that you're not going to be a professional tennis player or a professional soccer player or a basketball player. And you just want the experience of playing the sport while in college, because it's become a part of who you are. And I think that um, having the guidance early on really makes that decision process a lot easier. Both for Lauren and for myself with our children, we didn't really understand that until we went through it. And it is almost like a light bulb going off you 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 know spend your whole life on the field caring for your children and expect only D1 is an accomplishment but there's so much to be proud of and so much to learn from the D3 process the education is phenomenal um a lot of them as Lauren said earlier the smaller liberal arts schools where they um you know you, when you when you go to one of these schools it's not uncommon that you meet people in class or in the cafeteria or the library and one of the first questions that you're asked is what sports you play you know these kids are are smart hard working academic and athletic kids and just want to pursue that piece of their life and when when you find that right fit it truly can be magical and that's something i think that Laura and i have seen so many times when kids come to us thinking that day, you know, we're going to play at, you know, Michigan or Notre Dame or one of those schools. And it's really, that's a needle in a haystack. So you really have to manage your expectation to understand that, that there's so much opportunity at the D3 level. So once you do that and you make those connections, the application process almost becomes easier because you get that, you know, coach relationship. Coaches are eager to find these kids. They just may not have the resources themselves to go out and hunt them down. So once, you know, a coach catches somebody's eye, whether it's through a video or through an email, then that process begins and you have the coach on your side for the application process. And again, the D3 um, 
gives you, oftentimes we see the opportunity to perhaps attend a school academically that you otherwise might not have that opportunity. And that's what people don't realize. Again, you're, you're not looking to be a professional athlete. You're looking to get the best education. And going this D3 route is often like a home run for these kids because they're good students, but they've played the sport and maybe they're not killing it on the SAT or don't have a, you know, a 95 average, but they have that ability. So these schools see that and help them get into a school that is a more challenging school. And then they get there and they find that they can do the work that they're, that they're, they're required to do. Mm -hmm. We've we've gotten a lot of great feedback from, from our kids that those are the, that that's the real difference. So you mentioned about the coach being on the athlete's side during the application process and, you know, that a lot of times um, the sports side, the athletic side will open the door to schools that might not be available to a student athlete without that sport. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit from the application side? What what happens? So when you when you get coach support, when you have a coach that is interested in you, I, I, they have the opportunity to speak to admissions. Oftentimes, a lot of these smaller schools will require that you do it by early decision um, because they want to show that you are interested, you are fully intended on, on committing to this school. So if you have coach support and you find that there's a connection, you apply early decision. And it's the same process as, you know, a regular decision. You just have to get your application in at a particular date. And it, you know, saves you the um, headache of having to apply to 10 different schools. You know that this is the school that the coach you have a connection with is going to put his neck out on the line for you. Um, you apply early decision, and it's a great fit. Not only would this happen for academic, but like you can get into the school that you might otherwise not get into. There also may find some additional financial aid or scholarship money to encourage you to come. You know, they don't give money for D3 athletes, but the schools oftentimes have opportunities available um, that they could help could help students. Right. With and and I think that's kind of one of those things that people hear that there's no athletic scholarship money at D3. And so in their minds, that means there's no scholarship money at D3. All it means is there's no athletic scholarship money at D3. There's plenty of other financial aid and scholarships and grants and all sorts of of financing help that is out there. That's one of the biggest mistakes that people make. They think they're going to get more money going D1, where D1 has um, like a ratio or percentages that they can allot to specific teams. So if you're playing on the less popular team that doesn't get the kind of money that a football team may get, or, you know, the the money is still very little. Not every D1 athlete is going on a free ride. I mean, that's a big misnomer that people think. So there is so much more money available in these small liberal arts schools. And any, a lot of the D3 schools have great support from their alumni that, that they have these scholarships that people don't know about and it really helps in the financial part of it. Sure, yeah, sure. A lot of a lot of our kids get without even asking for scholarships, get ten thousand dollars a year. That seems to be like the magic number. Um they're presidential scholarships. They have all these just special names for different scholarships. And um when they get accepted they find that those come along with it. 
Um, one other thing I wanted to add that Leslie was talking about is we also um, asked to get a academic review before the student puts um, in their application for early decision. Um, and the coach, that gets done through the coaches. So we have our kids submit their transcripts and whatever testing scores they have to the coach, and then they submit it through um, through admissions, and we usually get a read back. It's it's um, they'll tell us or tell the student if it's likely, most likely, not likely. So we kind of get an idea. So if an academic read comes back from one of the D three coaches as not likely, we don't usually push that they apply their early decision. So we try to find that match. So before the student commits to the coach and the school early decision, we have a really good idea as to whether or not that student is going to be accepted or not. That's a great tip, actually. Yes. I mean, yes. that's yes. really useful um, because it saves a lot of heartache, right? I mean, there, there's heartache up front, I, I would guess, if if you have to go back to a student athlete and say, hey, you know, there's no way academically you're going to qualify to get in. Um, so, of mm -hmm. course, there's disappointment, but at least it's up front before they've put the work in to go through the application process, go on visits, yada, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, and you'll find them. Go ahead, Laura. No, I was just going to say, even with my own boys, um, we had narrowed it down to their top two or three choices, and one of them came back as most likely they were not going to get in. So we kind of just, before we committed early decision, we just took that out. So yeah, that information is huge. Um, and that is information you could only get once you've made a connection with the coach and the coach wants you to play on their team. So, um, and that is something, I, I don't know if that happens at D1, but for sure it's something that happens and it's pretty protocol at D3. I will say when my son was going through the process, he did have to submit all of his academic information to the tennis coach uh, prior to you know, filling out an, a, a university application. So we did go through that process. And in fact, he even went through it his sophomore year with a couple of schools just to see where he was, you know, and what improvements he needed to make in order to be eligible by the time he was ready to apply. So I, I'd forgotten that we did that. So I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a great tip. It is. It really, really is. And it works for the coaches, too, because the coaches, they may have 20 kids they're looking at, and they may only be taking three or four. Um, and so they don't want to waste their time trying to recruit a student that's not going to get into the school. So it, it works both ways. Sure, sure. Leslie, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say what Lauren just said, that, the, that it's a good opportunity for the coaches also, because they can see you know, what's in front of them. They they can really go after the student that they want based on the academics, you know, and the athletic piece of it. And it, it's super helpful um, when everybody's on the same page. Sure. So, Leslie, when you're working with a student athlete who is, you know, getting ready to apply to a Division three school, how is that different from a Division one application, or is it? The application process is basically the same, but um, you know most of them are done through the Common App, 
um, big or small. That's how they're done. And the, you know, the essays are the same. And I think that, um, when you're, when you're recruited and you actually know that it's a done deal, so to speak, the essay isn't as important. It, it is important, but it's, you know, these things, it's almost like a, a, in V3 particularly, when you have that form, that informal acceptance before, you know, you're, you're still waiting with your fingers crossed, but you're feeling good about it. The coach has given you an assurance. Your um, academic read came back positive. You're, you're feeling good about it. You have to have a completed application. Um, but it's just a formality not, not sort like, of. Exactly. It's not like the kid who's applying to, you know, 12 or 14 different schools on an academic basis and has no real idea what's going to, what's going to happen when those results come in. It is a pretty straightforward process. And that's the good thing, especially when you're doing ED. It, it, it's one application. It's, um, you know, I think it, it's, it's a much more comforting process because you've done all the legwork before you've submitted the application. What are some of the challenges you have seen so far, Leslie, with these kids coming in and having to go through the application process? You know, what are, think- what are some of the biggest stumbling blocks that you've run across with them? Well, I, I mean, I do a lot also for the non-athlete, and I, I could speak more to that. The kids have no idea what to write about. I feel like on their college essays, um, they are all over the place. They are, everyone's trying to convince somebody that they, you know, are, they've accomplished so much in their short 17 or 18 years. I think that a college essay really is a small moment that tells about yourself, that you um, can convey to the reader who you actually are, not to try to make yourself sound like um, something that you're not, or I think that it has to be an enjoyable read that can um, express something very specific about yourself. I find that those are the the most interesting essays. And I also think that your resume, you know, you, you have to have them, even as an athlete, you have to have things across the board. Across the board, I think that a lot of the, especially the D three schools, understand the challenge of being an athlete. But you're also um, at their school and in your life, you have more than just your sport. So you need to show that you've done community service and that you know participated in in your school and you know showed leadership on and off the field. You could be the captain of your team, but you also you know participated in your local synagogue or church or something like that. I think that you know, as it is with all applications, you need to show a well-rounded, um, uh, accomplished person and, and, and have that entire application show that, including your essay and your resume. Excellent. Excellent advice. Lauren, let's get back to the tennis a little bit and talk about what you have learned about division three tennis compared to division one or two or, you know, wherever else you, you have looked. Um, Why are you so sold on division three? Well, I think that, excuse me, at least for, um, for my, my sons and a lot of the students that we're working with, it's all about balance. Um, I think when you are a D1 athlete, you're not really balancing (laughs) much. It's really all about the sport. And for some kids, that's great and that's what they want. Um, For other kids, they may start out thinking they want that, but when they realize that D3 is still extremely competitive, 
Um, but you also have the balance of a social life and an academic life. Um, we had heard early on, someone had once told us, you can only have two of the three things successfully. It's almost impossible to have three of those things in your college, in your, in your college career, meaning it's impossible almost to be a D1 athlete, have any form of social life and be a really good student. Um, we find most of our D3 kids can have that balance and have all three. Um, so I think one of the most surprising things is just finding out and realizing that being a D3 athlete um, is very rewarding, is very competitive, um, and you're you're competing still at a very high level, but yet you do still have time to, to go out, to make friends, um, to sort of just have that social piece of um of your experience. That's huge. And and it is true and I you know, I haven't looked at the numbers and I I don't know if you guys have this data, but it'd be interesting to look at the percentage of division 1 athletes who play all 4 years um mm, versus yeah. D3 who play all 4 years. I because yeah. You know, my audience knows my son played two years and then decided that he was finished, um, just wanted to be a, a regular student and, you know, exactly. is completing and his college career. Hopefully this year, I've got my fingers crossed. Y'all can't see that. Um, <laughs> we're really hoping he graduates this year. Um, and, and he's on track. We're good. We're good. Um, but so many of his friends have taken that same path. You know, they played one or two years and then decided, eh, I'm, I'm really done. I'm ready to just yeah, I mean, move on is, with something it, else. Yeah. And these, they're, they're, these students are still young adults. Their bodies aren't even formed yet. I don't even necessarily agree with the, the whole process of being a D1 athlete. How much can these kids, how much can their bodies take? Um, so I think that you do find that more, at least in our in our experience, more D1 athletes do not com- do not complete their four years as much as D3 athletes do. Um, D3 athletes are still having four to five days a week of practice of lift. Um, it's just that it's not their practices are not generally as long and as many days. Um, D1 athletes tend to not have seasons. Um, You're kind of always in season where D3 definitely will have seasons. And when you're not in season, you can definitely have a social life. You can definitely focus on your, on your academics more. So um, yeah, we're definitely finding that D3 athletes are more likely to finish out their four years um, without injury also. I mean, that's a big thing too. I mean, we found, we are finding that the D3 athletes are just less likely to get injured just because of the wear and tear that it requires on your body to be a D1 athlete. Interesting point. Leslie, I I know the clock is ticking for you. So, um, before you scoot out, I want to just ask you, what advice would you give to families that are considering division three? I think that to be realistic about your child's athletic ability and, and their future, um, you know, I, I, I think that, again, like I said before, we're standing on the sideline and rooting our kids thinking that, you know, they're, they're the greatest one, that their opportunities are endless. Um, and then as you, you know, get lower in that funnel and you attend higher level 
competitions, you see, you know, how many how many athletes there are around this country. You know, in tennis or in soccer or basketball, you're traveling in these um, in leagues, and you're and there are it, it, it always it was always so amazing to me to see so many kids all competing for that D1 spot or for that school or for when you choose to do the D3 route, you also, you know, get to, you are making more choices. And I think that that goes to the, what you were saying before about um, the longevity of the D3 player. You know, as, as an adult, you have the hindsight, the, the, you know, the, fort, the, the fortuitous of having hindsight. And you know that um, these four years go by really quickly and your life goes on after that. And, you know, you're not going to be a professional athlete. And I think that that's something you want to keep in mind during the whole process. That academics is really the key here. And you want to get a good education while being able to play sports. And at the end of the day, when you choose a C3 situation, you do get that opportunity. You are getting a great education. You're making amazing friends on great sports teams and finding success for the future, which is all we want for our children. We want them to be able to get a job and have a successful future. Um, so I think that when you're looking at your ninth grader and wanting them to play a D1 sport, um, that's when I wish I had the information I have now. Because right. Because I feel like you would save yourself so much of a headache and so <laughs> People don't know what's available, and that's what Lauren and I want people to understand. There is so much opportunity. You just need to know about it. You know, you're standing on the field, and everyone's talking about D1, D1, D1. And this coach came to me, and this coach came to me, and then you have students who don't even realize because coaches, the D3 coaches, typically do not find you. You need to find them, which is where... Leslie and I come in and where our business comes in is because we make those matches. We, we take these students to the coaches. Right. Right. Yeah. And Leslie, your your point, Leslie, your point about, um, you know, learning about this as, as early as ninth grade to me, it, it it needs to happen even sooner because, you know, I don't know about soccer, but in tennis, the kids from, I mean, a super young age are already setting their minds on, you know, I'm going to play at this big D1 program because they don't know any different. And even the junior coaches need to do a better job of educating themselves and the families they work with about alternatives other than Division I, in my opinion. I agree. And I think all coaches should do that. Once you know that a child... Um, want to participate in sport at the college level, but they need to be educated as to all of the opportunities because the kids don't know and, and the parents don't know. And until you actually go through the process, you don't understand it. And it's a shame because you know there are tons of college counselors. You can have anyone write your essays or help you with your applications, but this is really something that's not available. And and the coaches that your kids play for on their soccer team or you know at the local tennis center or at the band, they don't even have this information. It's it's ever changing also, which is interesting. It's not, you know, it's not um, how it always, how it used to be done where you would just show up at a D3 school and maybe try to walk onto the sport. It's competitive now. And there is the process of, you know, 
presenting yourself to the coach with a package, with your video, with your um, academics, with your SAT scores, if they're accepted, and emailing them on a weekly basis or monthly basis, I'm going to be here if you can come and see me, or are you having a camp that I should attend, or do you are you looking for a left-handed tennis player or a, a point guard or a sweeper or you know, this communication back and forth with these D3 coaches is what the student needs to to do to find that fit. And I think that um, when you put the effort in, the results are amazing. And that's where you guys come in. Um, and that's where we guide them. Exactly. Yeah, with college athlete consultants, you, you help them put that package together and exactly. present it to the right coaches, the coaches that are that are a good fit for them based on what, like, how do you determine that? And, and Leslie, if you have to beg off, um, please yeah, go and thank you. Because you like, we sit down with each athlete individually and we say to them, what region are you looking for? What size school are you looking for? What um, academic portfolios are you presenting? What kind of field do you want to go into? Like, you know, we have a full check. Of things and then we find schools that match what those students are looking for. So it's really a, a comprehensive questionnaire about what what it is that you are looking for for your college experience. And then Lauren and I get to work in databases and try to find those those fits. Whether you know we do a lot in the Northeast, that's really where I mean where we are. If one of our kids wants to, to go further out, that requires us doing more research, but we are educated in our region. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's so helpful. Um, how many kids do y'all typically work with at a time? I mean, it's a lot of work. It is. We try to, um, to, well, right now we have about four or five kids that we're working with and we try to keep it around that number. Um, we could go up, we could go down a little bit but we do try to not take on more students than we feel we can give the right amount of attention to. And it is a lot of work. And we like, we like to get to know our students, um, you know, personally, academically, as an athlete. I mean, there's, there's just so much to understand. Um, and it is, it's very time consuming. And we kind of like to put a lot of effort into each one. So that, that's, kind of where we feel yeah. comfortable right now. But, and, but that's more so just on the application process. But as far as the questions or, you know, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. do things on like an ad hoc basis, like someone will call us and talk. But as far as like just getting the applications in, we keep it as a small, like very small group because I, we both have our families and I have a law practice and Lauren does tons of volunteer work. So that is the hardest part is just focusing on the application piece. But as far as the information piece and helping kids get through the high school years, that's where we, we're trying to build up so people can start early and understand what needs right. to be done to get to the application piece. Well, that was, that's the perfect segue to my next question, which was <laughs> at what, at what age or in what grade do you recommend that people contact you? We, um, we like to see that we like to start with the students in ninth grade. Uh, we get a lot of calls from kids later on and parents later on, but ninth grade is great because we can help them. Um, 
we can help with course selection. We can help getting them, like Leslie was saying, into the right tournaments. Because coaches can and will keep eye, keep their eye on certain students for years. So um, it's it's a little trickier when we get the phone call at the end of junior year from a parent saying my my son or daughter wants to play college tennis. Um, it's much better when we have have the time. Um, but I would say, as an average, most of our students start with us as um, as sophomores. Okay. And so can we talk about what happens ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade? Um, you know how how does the process start, and how, you know, in an ideal world, how would they progress through that process? I'm going to just say one thing, and then I'm going to jump it off. The call. <laughs> okay. um, my last thing. Um, I, I think that it's that that actually varies sport to sport. Um, as far as uh, ha- when to start, how to reach out, different things. Um, but it it does when 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 you go through the process of figuring out what. Then the kids are also they develop a little bit more. The start that that's why it's nice to start with them in ninth, tenth grade because they change and they learn more. They don't know if they want the big school, the small school, the southern school, the New England school. So as you get to know the kids and they get to see different things, then their their minds open up and they they kind of uh, narrow down their focus. So you you know they're they're when we started the process, we had someone we spoke to who would always talk about casting a big net. You cast the net and then you see what you can cast. I, I I never found that to be a good strategy. I always think it's better, especially for D3, to really understand what it is you're looking for. There's, there's a lot in that net alone that you can find. You don't need to apply to a thousand different programs or go to a thousand different um, individual camps, for example, for soccer. You really need to figure out what it is that your individual student is looking for. And again, that's where Lauren and I come in. There's, if you ask enough questions, you start to figure out those answers. And that really helps in defining the process. And that, I think, is one of the biggest takeaways that I got from going through the process is keep asking the questions because otherwise you're wasting your time. You're, you're, you're not getting to where you need to be until it's too late. So um, figuring out that as early as possible, like just knowing I want D3, I want small, I want Northeastern, I want that makes that whole process easier. Then you can go to five camps or you can go to um, six tournaments or you just narrow down really what it is you're looking for. And with that, it was a pleasure talking to you. Lauren's going to take the lead from that. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Leslie. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I'll talk to you. Bye, Les. Hi. Also, Hi. Um, yeah. just adding adding on to what Leslie was saying is we're also open to the fact that they are kids um, and they do change their minds. Um, Leslie's daughter, for example, went in thinking she only wanted D1 and she wanted a big school and she ended up at a small liberal arts school. Um, so sometimes what the student goes in thinking they want is not what they end up, you know, really end up at at school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to keep an open mind to that as well. Sure. So... Now that um, that Leslie had to scoot out and and, you know, she was giving us a a broader athletic look, which was super helpful. Um, Let's focus a little more on the tennis side of this. Um, Sure. And since it's parenting aces and that's our audience, we Mm -hmm. we are tennis players. Um, 
So let's let's start with ninth grade because we know that in tennis the the recruiting process is starting earlier and earlier. That is correct. So what should they be doing in ninth grade? Well, in ninth grade, um, we kind of um, just have our students. It's a little early to start reaching out to coaches. Um, in for D1, however, some kids are recruited as early as ninth or 10th grade. Typically, for a D3 tennis player, you're not getting recruited or you're not really going to know where you're going until the summer before your senior year. Okay. Um, by then you'll have had your, um, your official reads and you'll kind of have, have it down to your top three choices by then. So in ninth grade for a tennis player who is on the D3 path, um, we just want to make sure you are, um, because if as a D3 athlete, you need to be a student. D1, it's a little different. You still need to be a student, but you're getting recruited for your athletics. If you're a D3 athlete, I don't care what sport it is, you have to be a student and an athlete. So the focus for the ninth grader is on academics. What classes are you taking? Are you taking the most challenging classes you can take? Um, How are you managing your time between being an athlete and being a student? So it's kind of just looking at more of those things. Um, And then, as Leslie was saying, there's a lot of exposure camps. So what are you doing for your summer? Let's see what exposure camps we can get you into. Um, So it's, 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 it's more focused on the balance of the academics and the sports as a ninth grader. Okay. And then not a whole, not a whole lot of recruiting is going on, but we do start working with them to, to start to understand, well, what is it? What kind of school are you looking for? Um, where do you see yourself? The other piece is, um, I know for my boys, um, D3 has, like I was saying, there's a lot of ranges. Um, you could have D1 athletes on a high D3 team. Um, you know, a school like Wash U is considered D3, but, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to be one of the top tennis players in the country to land a spot there. And you're going to be really, really smart too. Um, so it's just starting to, to kind of think about all of those things. Mm -hmm. So really you're laying the groundwork in, in ninth grade, kind of creating a blueprint for moving forward, making sure that the high school course load is, appropriate for D3 athlete, um, that they're getting the required courses, the required rigor, um, and at the same time, continuing to work on their athletics and get better, maybe improve their ranking, improve their Mm -hmm. uh, TRN, their UTR, all those things. Okay. And so then let's move into 10th grade. What's, what's on the agenda recruiting wise in 10th grade? So 10th grade, um, we definitely have our athletes starting to reach out to the coaches at that point. Um, I think that they will start answering. Um, ninth grade is just too early, I think, um, at least in our experience it has been. So 10th grade, we start um, giving the students, we, we come up with our list in 10th grade. We sit down and we say, okay, let's come up. We, we like the number 10. So we try to look at 10 schools to start. Um, and we have your reach schools, you have your target schools, and you have your safe schools. So there's usually about three to four of each 
of those we like the kids to to reach so for example I'll use my boys um, we had three or four reach schools um, my boys ended up right at their target school which which was great but you start um, looking at schools and um, and coming up with a list and start reaching out you kind of want to get your name on their radar so we'll we'll start reaching out to coaches um, on the student's behalf and we will also give the students the skills and the email skills and what should be in the email to actually reach out to to a coach um, we have found though that um, the coaches are more likely to answer when they have a recruiting service like ourselves you know in the picture Interesting. And so do you reach out to the coaches first or on the student's behalf? It it depends. Um, sometimes the students do it first. Um, and if they're not successful, um, some coaches will answer students, some coaches will not. Uh, we kind of have an idea of, of that as well, of who will and who won't. Um, but we just had, for an example, an equestrian rider and she was not getting anywhere. She was not getting answers. And um, just because um, we were able to call and reach out on her behalf, we made a great, um, she she was placed in her first choice school and um, she's, she's going to be riding and that worked out beautifully. So sometimes you really do need someone to represent you. Other times we're working with the athlete to give them the skills and what to say and how to say it and how to word it, um, what to be asking for um, the students generally in their junior year are going on official visits, but you need to ask for that. Um, so there's all these things that the athlete does not know how to do or what to do or what the process is. And so that we're there to help that that as well. Got it. Okay. So sophomore year, we've got the list built, maybe yep. starting to reach out to some coaches and just kind of introduce the the player, you know, the player will yep. introduce him yep. or herself. Okay. And so now- And then also in, in 10th yeah. grade, also not to interrupt, but no, um, go ahead. we take a look at their list and I'll talk about tennis specifically. So they will, let's say the tennis player knows that they're 500 in the country. And let's say a school on their list um, will use Wash U. They might only be recruiting kids who are 300 in the country. Well, that's important information for the tennis player to know because, um, well, let's see, what can I do to get my ranking up? And those are the things that we work with. What are the tournaments I should be in? Um, where am I going to get the most points? Should I travel to another state to do a tournament? Is it worth it? Should I be doing this, this national tournament? Um, what and, and coaches go to certain tournaments. So what tournament should I be going at to be seen? Um, there are showcases that we, we get our students in, and, and that's also important in 10th grade because we um, the coaches definitely start watching them in 10th grade. Um, so it's all about um, understanding where you need to be, at, where your tennis piece needs to be, mm-hmm. um, and what you need to do to get it there if it's not there. Got it. Okay. So let's move on to junior year. That's a lot in sophomore year. Yeah. <laughs> Freshman year is <laughs> way easier. Okay. So yeah, let's, exactly. let's move on to, to junior year. 
So junior year is um, is definitely a continuation of um, the work we're doing freshman and sophomore year, uh, but junior year just um, most parents, if you've had a, a, a junior already, um, you just know it is just the most difficult year of high school um, because on top of everything else, you now have to study for your SATs and your ACTs. Um, so we work on um, getting a student, um, if they need support, whether it's tutoring, whether it's a class, whether some kids do better with tutors in their own home. So we have resources for that. Um, and so besides working on your academics, um, you have to throw in the whole the whole test the whole testing piece. So um, that I think is a, is a huge part for the junior year. And then um, you really start by then once you start getting your scores back in your junior year, then we kind of go back to our list of schools and say, okay, well now your ranking is 500 in the com in the country. You've got this on your ACT or SAT, and your GPA is this. Now we could start looking at that list of 10, and we could probably bring it down to six or seven, um, mm -hmm. because there are certain schools that are just it's just not going to happen. And we try to be realistic. Um, it's hard to um, to get recruited. It's even harder to try and be recruited to 10 different schools um, because to be recruited, you need to have constant communication with that coach junior year. Um, you need to start going to look at the schools and doing tours. All this stuff takes time. So we try to get in the junior year that list a little tighter, a little smaller, six or seven schools. Um, you may find when you started doing that in ninth or tenth grade, um, you you know your reaches may be your targets now. You know the list changes, mm -hmm. or sometimes the reaches are just not even reaches. They're what we call super reaches, <laughs> and sometimes kids and parents still want to keep those. So maybe we'll keep one super reach. Um, so you don't really know, but between freshman and junior year, um, you really get an idea and you're able to narrow that list down. And especially for well, boys, I think so much changes between freshman and junior year um, from a physical standpoint with boys, not as much with girls. I think, you know, by, by 14, 15, the girls physically are pretty developed, you know, yeah, but the boys exactly. are changing so much. So things shift a lot. And, and in terms of tennis, I mean, there's so many kids that, that my son came up with, and my son was one himself, who once he hit the 16 and unders, he was a whole different tennis player than he had been prior to that. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think it's interesting that you point that out, that there's a lot that that you may revise in that junior year that, you know, things you thought you wanted as a freshman, now you realize, you know, maybe right, my, my exactly. wants and needs have changed a bit. So that's great mm -hmm. that you review that. And and so is is the rule now that they can take official visits in their junior year? Um, trying to think if that rule has changed. Um, most of the official visits, yes, are done in the junior year because um, by the time that summer comes, you've already done you've already done your visits. 
Okay. So yes. Okay. And so, um, so summer after junior year, that's, that's hardcore going to visit schools and making some decisions about where you're going to actually apply. Right. And we find most of our students by the summer going into their senior year have about two to three choices. Okay. Um, and then once you get, um, once you get the um, the okay from the coaches, which is sort of like a thumbs up from um, from admissions, you kind of feel a little relieved when when you check that early decision box. Um, and we try to get something from the coaches in writing, stating that uh, if the student has been um, accepted, that they will have them on the team. Because that's a whole that's a whole nother piece, um, right? <laughs> yeah, is that that piece doesn't change, you know. I mean, you never know. The coach could all of a sudden get a student that they didn't think was going to apply early decision or wasn't counting on it. So there there's a lot of there's a, a lot of moving pieces. Right. So again, I mean, it's one of those situations that just because your child's been accepted at the university doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have a spot in the lineup on the tennis team. Correct. Correct. And that's also a big difference with D3 and D1. D1, you are signing a contract. Um, So if you, once that contract is signed, you know you are pretty much playing for that school. Um, D3, it's really more of um, a verbal commitment, I guess, um, saying that if we get into the school, we will play on the team. So there's no national letter of intent at D3. Correct. There is not. There is not. Okay. And let me just say, even at D1, you sign that NLI, but that doesn't guarantee you a spot in the top six. It just, it just says you're on the tennis team. Correct. So. Correct. And if you get injured or anything else happens along the way, um, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen, but we definitely have heard of and seen um, kids who have that letter of intent, but then get injured and they're, um, you know, find themselves going to a school they didn't want to go to um, and not playing the sport they thought they were going to be playing. Sure. And, and also the NLI is, is even if when you're going through the process and signing the NLI, it looks as though you're going to be in the top six, the coach isn't necessarily going to stop trying to recruit people better than you. And that's exactly right. That's that exactly happens right. Least, a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> it, it, no, it, it absolutely does. In fact, um, something very similar happened um, at Union College um, this this year, um, not with tennis, with another sport where you find yourself, you show up and we hear it with a lot of schools and uh, you're still at a tryout <laughs> yeah. um, because they accepted more players than they thought. But um, we, um, we try to, um, you know, educate the families on all the things that, that can go wrong and things do go wrong. It's, um, there's, there are no guarantees until your student shows up, you know, your athlete shows up that day and, uh, and is actually playing on the team. Right. Right. So senior year, it sounds like is all about the actual application process. Is that right? Senior year, yes. It's all about the application process, but the athletes are done early because almost always they are applying early decision. And so, so by by the, by usually the first or second week in December, right about now, 
they know where they're going and they're done. Okay. And so what happens the rest of that year? What are they doing? Or I mean, is it just a waiting game at that point? What do you recommend? So, um, the rest of that year, uh, we still make sure that um, the athletes keep in touch with their coach. Um, that's a really important piece. A lot of kids get in and they're kind of done. Um, and we uh, make sure that the athletes are still keeping up with their academics, um, but also very important is to keep up with their athletics because, um, as you were saying, just because you are on the team, you get there and you're trying out for your position. So if you stop playing your sport, whether it's tennis or something else, because it's like, wow, I'm in, I'm done, this is over, I, I could breathe, I can not play tennis every day um, or do as many tournaments. I mean, no, it is so important. It's almost the most important year to keep up um, the athletic piece because um, when you get to school, you need to try out for positions and, um, you know, you don't want to also disappoint your coach and you don't want your coach to see, okay, well, I was, you know, 600 in the country and now all of a sudden I'm eight or 900 in the country. That sends a message to the coach that you stop trying. Right. And the same right. thing, and the same thing with you know with your with the academics. We want our athletes um, to still keep up with their schoolwork and not just think, okay, I applied early decision, I got accepted, I'm done. Right, right, yeah. Offers can be rescinded. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. Absolutely, it uh, yeah, definitely it happens. Well, Lauren, this has been incredibly informative. Thank you so much. Um, Thank if, you. If the Parenting Aces listeners want to reach out to you guys, what's the best way for them to do that? And and we'll have all this contact information in the show notes on parentingaces.com as well. Yeah, that would be great. Um, we offer free consultations. So if there's anyone out there that has any questions um, that just wants to you know, hear more about anything we spoke about or specifically related to their to their athlete or student, um, they can call uh, call me at 917-887-8930. Uh, or um, you could go to our um, website, which is um, collegeathleteconsultants.com. Perfect. Perfect. And you guys have a Facebook page as well. And we'll have the link to that too. So people yep. can, can join you there. I, I mean, this has just been so informative and, and I've loved speaking with you and with Leslie and uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, we really appreciate everyone's time for listening and uh, any questions, feel free to reach out. We're, we're here always and love to help. Fantastic. To my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.